Uh, Let's open up our Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 13. This morning, the message is entitled, A New Commandment. We're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17 and then look at it in detail. So Gospel of John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, where we read, Now before the, the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you were not all clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you, say the last two words with me, go, do them. That's right. So again, this morning we are reading about a new commandment. John's gospel records Jesus making seven I am statements, plus an additional all-inclusive one. In John 6, 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 7, I am the door of the sheep. In John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then finally, the all-inclusive one, John 8, 58, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, finish it, what does he say? I am. That's right. The great I am, the all-becoming one, the I am that I am. Jesus claims there to be God Almighty. Now, the Holy Spirit through John also penned a few other books. They are... 1 John, 2 John, and conveniently after that, 3 John, and then finally the last book of the Bible, the Revelation. The Revelation of what? Of whom? Jesus Christ. That's right. Now, in 1 John, he also adds another I am statement. 
And he repeats it twice in chapter 4 and verses 8 and 16. And it is God is, who knows? It begins with L, ends with of. Love, that's right. There you go. In John 4, verse 7, or 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love is his very nature, not just what he does, but who he is. And because his nature is love, so also is the nature of his born-again adopted sons and daughters. Which is why here in John chapter 13, Jesus commands his own to love others the way he loves us. In John 13 verse 34, here's this, a new commandment Jesus says, I give to you, that you love one another. And then he qualifies it, how should we love one another? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, Jesus did not deliver this message from some impressive pulpit. <laughs> See, that's the motif Pastor Troy wanted to go with originally. But I think this is a little bit more subdued. No, Jesus didn't deliver this message from an impressive pulpit. He actually demonstrated his love by dying on the cross. So Jesus didn't just talk a, 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 a real impressive I am talk. No, Jesus walked the walk, and he commands us to do so likewise. Here in chapter 13, Jesus demonstrates how we are to love one another. Verses 1 through 11, Jesus became the least. Jesus became the least. Let's look at verse 1 again. Now, before the feast of Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from the world to the Father. So there's this hour that Jesus knew about. The hour when he would pay the price for our sins in full. When he would suffer unlike anybody else ever has. And he would ultimately die on the cross. Question, when did Jesus know about this hour? When did Jesus first realize that this hour existed? Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? That's a mind-blowing statement. Did it ever occur to you nothing ever occurred to God? In other words, Jesus always knew that this hour was coming. From eternity past, he always knew that this hour was coming. He also knew the full extent of the hour, prophesied about it in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, where it says, just as many as were astonished at you, so his visage, his physical appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sun's of men. When Jesus, after his torturous uh, ordeal that he went through, when he was finally hanging on the cross, if you had seen him, you wouldn't have said, is that Jesus? You would have said, is that even a man? Is that even a man? And Jesus knew this hour was coming, and now here it was. In less than 24 hours, he would bear the full weight of the sin of the world upon himself. What did Jesus choose to do with the time left? Notice in verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them 
to the end. Oh, I love that statement. He loved them to the end. Even though he knew that the cross was only hours away, he chose to focus his love and his attention on the disciples. And keep in mind, they weren't that lovable. What were they doing there at the Last Supper? What was their favorite topic of conversation? Who's going to be themselves? And specifically, which one of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In addition to that, there was also one that Jesus knew was going to betray him. But even so, Jesus still loved them to the end, even though they were less than lovable. And truth be told, it's questionable if we're any better than them. That's why we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were really good people, when we finally cleaned ourselves up and we became really nice to one another, then he loved us. Is that what it says? No. He demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Good news, isn't it? Take anything home with you today, or if you're listening online or on the radio, let it be this. Jesus loves you to death, his own death. He loves you to death. And supper being ended, verse 2, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. In other words, Jesus knew that this was the last night he would spend with his disciples. Now, when a person knows that their time is short, they typically gather their family and loved ones to them to tell them some very important things like, here's my last will and testament, or I buried some money in the backyard, or I never liked Aunt Edna and those nasty cats of hers. <laughs> and it was no different from, than Jesus, except what he had to tell them was of eternal significance. How significant? You realize that the Holy Spirit through John uses five chapters to tell us what Jesus said to his disciples there at the Last Supper. Five chapters of the Gospel of John devoted to Jesus instructing the disciples when he knew that the end for him was near. And they're all centered around, these five chapters are all beautifully centered around John 13, verse 34. Again, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus loved them to the end, even as they were busy loving themselves. In Luke's gospel, he records what they were talking about at the Last Supper, chapter 22, verse 24. There was also a great dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. John might have said, well, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves, and so I'm the greatest. Nathaniel might have said, well, Jesus said, I'm an Israelite in whom there is no guile. I must be the greatest. Peter might have said, well, Jesus said, I received divine revelation from the Father. I, I must be the greatest. Judas said, oh, I must be the most important. I'm the treasurer. He trusts me with the money. Beware of treasures. Is a church treasurer here? No, anyway, moving on. So as, as they're arguing over who is the greatest, the greatest in the universe silenced them all with 
loving servitude. Notice Jesus, verse 4, rose from supper, laid aside his garments. He took off his robe. He was bare-chested, his legs exposed. He laid all his outer clothes aside. And he took a, a towel, girded himself with it. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. In other words, Jesus took upon himself the role of the most menial servant. In our culture, we tend to lose the original meaning of foot washing. For us, foot washing today means little more than some quaint, campy ceremony accompanied by the singing of kumbaya. You know, someone's feet stink, my Lord, kumbaya, or whatever. But back then, people walked everywhere, either barefoot or in sandals, and mostly on dirt roads, making for dirty, stinky feet. So back then, foot washing was practical. It was a much-needed courtesy given to a weary traveler. If you were invited to someone's house, the host would have his lowest-ranking servant there at the door with a basin and with a towel ready to, to wash your feet at the Last Supper. Jesus, the greatest of the universe, made himself the lowest ranking servant. So as Jesus began to wash their feet, now picture in your mind, there's what they call the triclinium. There's like three tables in a U-shaped form. Jesus is, is at the head of the table. John is to his right. Do you know who was to his left? Judas. That's right. And, and guess who was sitting down at the end of the table? Peter. Peter's at the far end. He's in the last position. Oh, oh, maybe he was remembering Jesus' word when he said, you know, when you're invited, don't sit in the best seat, but sit down in the lowest seat, and then, then the, the, the host will say, oh, come up better, and you'll have honor in front of people. Maybe Peter thought, oh, yeah, this is my opportunity. I'm going to sit down at the lowest, and then Jesus is going, Pete, no, 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 not there. Come up here, and I'm going to look so good in the eyes of everybody else, and Jesus never called him up. I love it. A little humble pie, Peter had to eat that, that service. So as they're arguing back, I'm going to be greatest, I'm going to be greatest, all of a sudden, Jesus gets up and he starts to wash feet. And they all knew what it meant. Jesus was being the lowest of the low, taking care of the, of the first and most basic need. And all of a sudden, the room gets quiet. They're nudging one another. What's he doing? Why is he doing this? And, and then he works his way around and finally comes to Peter. Then he came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Then Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. I'm not going to allow it. Peter's defiant. He's not allowing the Lord to do what the Lord wants to do. You will never wash my feet. Well, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. If I don't wash you, Peter, you're out. Might as well go. Unless you let me wash your feet, you're gone. Can't work with you. Can't hang with you. Won't have this supper with you. You gotta go. See, here's, here's one of the main points. Jesus 
cleanses us from head to toe the moment we ask him to be our Savior and Lord. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Somebody say amen to that. Okay, now, we're in the world, though, and we sometimes walk in the world and we step in the world. If we want to have fellowship with Jesus, we need to get our feet cleansed. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. I'm already born again. I'm headed to heaven. But do I want to have fellowship with Jesus? Do I want to serve alongside other brothers and sisters in order to serve Jesus and his people? Do I want to be used by him? Well, if that be the case, I need my feet washed. And so Jesus says to Peter, you know, if, if I don't wash your feet, you're out. You're done. But then a little less defiant Peter, in verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> You know, I, I admire Peter's response here. Lord, if you must wash my feet for me to have a part with you, then how much better if you give me a whole bath? Well, it was admirable, but not necessary. Notice in verse 10, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. Obviously referring to Judas. But notice what Jesus says to Peter and to the others. You're already completely clean, so you don't need a bath. But what you do need is to occasionally have your feet washed. See, you and I, we become completely clean the moment we embrace God's word, specifically that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. The moment you ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, you are cleansed from head to toe. In John 15, verse 3, Jesus later on will say, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Do you believe the word of God that Jesus is the only way of salvation? Yes or no? Have you asked him to be the Lord of your life? Yes or no? You are saved. You're headed for heaven. You are clean from head to toe. However, you and I, we walk in this world watching TV. Occasionally, we get our spiritual feet dirty by straying off the straight and narrow into stepping into some worldly, fleshly, sinful, stinky dung pile. Dung pile of sin. Be a good bumper sticker. Beware of the dung pile of sin. Well, at that point, do we need to become born again again? No. But we do need to come to Jesus for a spiritual foot washing. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, if we confess our sins, here's how we Here's how Jesus washes our feet. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. Some of you might study Greek at Liberty University. Here's a little Greek lesson. All means all, and that's all all means. The translators got it absolutely right. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So every time you and I might step in it, we just need to confess that to God. And if we will confess it, every time we step in it, a couple of things will happen. Number one, 
we'll realize just what sinful doofuses we really are. But number two, our love and appreciation for Jesus will grow abundantly. Many of you know the, the, the incident where Simon the Pharisee, a self-righteous guy who didn't think he needed forgiveness, invites Jesus to come to his house. Well, some lady shows up with a really bad rap. And Simon somehow, how did he know her, by the way? She had a bad rep, and she was weeping. She was so broken over her sin. She's weeping at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet with her tears, wiping his feet with her hair. You know, I would do the same thing if I only had hair. But that was a mean laugh. So, so and, and, and then she began kissing his feet. Well, Simon, the Pharisee, the self-righteous guy who didn't think he was sinful at all, he said, oh, if this guy were really a prophet. He's saying this in his heart, and you and I, Jesus hears what we say in our hearts. <laughs> he, Simon in his heart said, if this guy were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this really was who's touching him. He wouldn't allow it. Well, Jesus heard his thoughts, rebuked him. And then eventually said this in Luke 7, verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, she recognizes how sinful she, uh, she is. They are therefore forgiven, for she loves much. See, she responded to the degree of her sinfulness being forgiven. She responded to the degree of her sinfulness being forgiven. She had been forgiven of much, and therefore, oh, I just love you so much for forgiving me of such sins. But notice what he says of Simon, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. But the truth is, Simon, you're just as sinful as she is. In fact, you're even worse. You have the sin of spiritual pride. You don't think you need forgiveness. And dude, you are covered in it, covered in sin from head to toe. But you don't recognize it. Therefore, you don't love much. So if we will be in the habit of confessing our sins, every single incident, that person cuts you off and you wish for their car to blow up, you've got to confess that as sin. Lord, I shouldn't wish that on them. Every time somebody says an unkind thing to you, doesn't say hello to you, or you're surfing the internet and your mouse goes to the wrong place, confess it. Confess it right there and then. Your feet are dirty. Get them washed. Come to Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord. And the more you and I get in the habit of doing that, yes, we'll realize how sinful we are. But also we're, our appreciation, our love for Jesus is going to grow and grow. So Jesus washes the disciples' feet to show them, I love you. And I love you completely because I've taken upon myself the task of the lowest servant well, at that point, the disciples, they are so thoroughly confused. That's why in verses 12 through 17, Jesus explains why. Jesus explains why. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to find out that right here, Jesus paused. Do you know what I've done for you? He's making them think. And they're looking at one another like, I don't know. And once Jesus starts to hear the crickets chirp, then he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Since there's no task beneath Jesus, there should be no task beneath us. For I have given you an example, verse 15, that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And Jesus is the greatest. He's the master, the one uh, who was sent, the one who sent out the apostles. He's the greatest. But since Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, therefore it is contrary to the nature of Jesus for any pastor, any minister, any church worker, or any child of God to adopt a serve me sort of attitude. It should never be said, oh, but that's not my ministry. I don't take out the trash. That's not my ministry. My ministry is something much more recognizable. Should never be the case. I'll do it, but you know, that's not my ministry. I've heard people say that. And in my heart, I, I, I say, Lord, two things. Number one, I want to tell them, never mind. Number two, forgive me for having a bad attitude toward them. <laughs> it should never be said, oh, that's not my ministry. That's not my calling. See, Jesus' people pull weeds. Jesus' people pick up trash. They sweep parking lots. Jesus' people plunge toilets. Jesus' people especially love difficult, unloving, unlovable people. That's how Jesus treats us. And that's how we're to treat one another. And we do this and more with a servant's heart because we love Jesus. And we love one another as he loves us. And then finally in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you keep knowing them and study a lot about them. Is that what he says? Blessed are you if you say it, please say it, do them. Blessed are, just like Nike, just do it. Blessed are you if you do them. This call to servanthood is not a concept, it's a commandment. A commandment, though, with a great promise. Those who make loving servanthood their practice are going to be blessed out of this world. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable, but it's an indication of how he's going to speak to us one day. His Lord said to him, to the faithful servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Oh man, won't it be great to hear Jesus say that? And it could be at any time. On your way home, the, the Lord could rapture his church out of here. The trump of God, twinkling of an eye. You know how fast a twinkling of an eye is? Want to see it again? Again, 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 again. The dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. Harpazo in the Greek, rapturo in the Latin, where we get our English word rapture from. We'll be raptured to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with him. I got saved when I was 15, and at that point, I believed that Jesus could come back at any time. Now that I'm 23 and a half, I, oh, ouch, uh, I still today believe it as strongly as ever. He could come back at any time. But let's say the Lord doesn't delay, or, or excuse me, the Lord delays his, his coming. Well, then he's going to come back and pick us off one at a time. But those of us who love one another as Jesus loves us, who serve one another 
as Jesus has served us, we're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Jesus commands his disciples to love and serve one another. But again, Jesus didn't merely proclaim pious platitudes. No, he performed his teaching through personal example of the foot washing. And most importantly, less than 24 hours later, when he would serve us and serve the world by dying on the cross. Remember in the foot washing, he laid aside his garments. Guess what? On the cross, he was naked. Laid aside the garments that you and I, through believing in him, might be saved. You know, his commandment that we love one another still stands. Throughout the New Testament, we're told over and over again, love one another, serve one another. Specifically, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You know, right there, we have the key to solving all of society's problems. Racism is gone. The, the divide between the haves and the have-nots would be gone. All the evil in the world would be gone. If we would esteem others better than ourselves, marriage problems would be gone. In fact, you know what, for you folks, I'd like to... Uh, give you the, the key to a happy marriage. I'm going to solve all your marital problems right now. Any of you want the key to marital happiness and bliss? Nobody? Shame on you. Okay. Well, here it is. Ready? Be really, really, really nice to each other. You're welcome. Drop the mic. That's all that it takes. Be really nice to each other. How do we solve the world's problems? Esteem others better than yourself. Don't treat others equally. Treat others better than yourself. And in so doing, problems solved. Now, will the politicians, will the world be able to fix the problems that they have created? No. They're never going to be able to do it. Why? It's not in their nature. They don't have it within them to do it. It would be like me asking my dog, okay, Molly, explain the Pythagorean theorem to me. She'd look at me and say, food, you know. <laughs> She's not capable to handle mathematical problems. Even, it's not her nature. Even so, the people of the world, they are not capable of handling the problems of the world, of fixing the world. But we are the bride of Christ we have a new nature. Therefore, we do have the capacity and we must do it. Again, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or in conceit, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than himself. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but it really seems like the world is at each other's throats. Why? Because the majority of people are focused on pursuing their own desires. I'm sure you've heard all the, the, the clitchy phrases like, follow your heart, or be true to you, you just do you. Or if you think it, it must be true. Or if you feel it, it must be real. And also, every random thought must be posted on Facebook. 
Others need to know what you think. No, we don't. So everybody in the world, they are all pursuing their own self-interests. How's that working out for them? Is there peace or is there war? In James chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Okay, now we're going to solve the geopolitical problems. Here it is. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? I want to live in a nation that caters to my every want and will, and so I want more oil, therefore I'm going to attack other nations who have it. And you can name the nation around the world, but that's how it's all working out. They lust for their own pleasures. Not only true in the political arena, but also true, sadly, in many families. Let's say dad, he's pursuing his dreams. Mom, she's out pursuing her dreams. And there are 2.5 kids, they're pursuing their dreams. In such a family, will there be peace or will there be war? Now, let's say we find a family where they've embraced the loving servant heart nature of Jesus. Dad is dedicated to serving his wife and doing what's best for the kids. Mom, she's devoted to serving her husband and also doing what's best for the children. And the children, oh, they've somehow miraculously adopted the servanthood mindset of Jesus, and they're trying to minister to their parents. I know, take some imagination, but imagine in such a scenario, will there be war or will there be peace? So contrary to conventional wisdom, true joy, true peace, true happiness can never be achieved through pursuing one's own desires. But true fulfillment will be found by embracing Jesus' call to love one another through servanthood. In Mark 9, verse 35, Jesus had a sit-down with his disciples, and he said, if anyone desires to be first... He shall be last of all and servant of all. You know, instead of I get to go first, the heart of Jesus is I get to go last to prefer one another. Today the world is at war. It's fully engulfed. And it is setting itself up for the wrath of God. It's prime. Oh, it's ready. And that's them. They're doing them. And this is what you get. But we are the bride of Christ. And our bridegroom has commanded us to love one another through being servants of all. Maybe not necessarily through ceremonial foot washings, but in real acts of humble kindness and service. So instead of washing your neighbor's feet, how about wash your neighbor's car? And we're out mowing the lawn, or as they say here, cutting the grass. Maybe you go over to the widow's house and cut hers as well. And especially when you deal with people who have stumbled into sin and stepped in it. Did you notice how Jesus never went around to the disciples as he's washing their feet and said, Oh, Peter, what did you step in? Whoo! Man, Bartholomew, you think maybe you could have avoided that? He didn't rebuke them. He didn't bring their dirty feet to their attention. What did he do? He washed their feet. People that have stepped in sin don't need our criticism. They need our help. 
They need our love. And we need to understand, there but for the grace of God go I. And I'm just as bad as that woman who is crying on the feet of Jesus and washing her hair. My sins put him to the cross. I can never have a Simon the Pharisee attitude toward anybody else who maybe steps in it. We are to love one another and serve one another, esteem others better than ourselves. The result, true fulfillment, true joy, true peace, something the world will never know. And it all begins by deciding to obey Jesus' new commandment. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Gang, you realize that Jesus is here right now. The Holy Spirit is here in this place right now, ready, willing, and able to cleanse us from all sin, from even the stain of sin. There might be some here or listening right now. They need a complete bath. Oh, you prayed a prayer as a kid. You've done church. But let me remind us all of the scripture that says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, he is accursed. Do you love Jesus? Well, I was baptized, doesn't matter. Do you love Jesus? Well, I, I went on this trip. No, do you love Jesus? There's a question mark. Maybe, maybe you need a complete bath. Maybe you need to come to him, asking him to be your savior and your Lord. You need a complete cleansing. Good news, Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit is here to do that work for you. Maybe you're like, well, okay, I, I love the Lord. I'm not perfect. Hey, nobody is. You're in good company. But you're saved. You did ask Jesus to be the, your Lord and Savior, and, and you, you do love him, and you want to try to please him. But maybe this week you've stepped in it. Maybe you stepped somewhere you shouldn't have stepped. And now you've got some of that sinful stuff on your feet. Good news, Jesus is here to cleanse you. Last week at our church there in, in the Memphis, Tennessee area, Calvary Chapel, Bartlett, there was a man who came up to me afterward and said, man, I needed to hear that. I not only stepped it in, into it this week, but it was a deep hole and I got it up to my armpits. <laughs> I needed this cleansing. And he received it. And you and I can receive it today. In a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to give us all an opportunity that if, whether to be completely cleansed because you need it, haven't yet really been, or whether to have your feet washed because you stepped in it. In a moment, we're all going to have this opportunity. I am going to, in the prayer time, ask you to stand. Signifying, yes, Lord, I, I, I need a complete cleansing or I need a foot washing. And I want you to picture in your mind Jesus making himself bare and kneeling down, stooping at your feet in order to cleanse you from your sin, from that sin of separation. Maybe there's that thing. You don't have good, close fellowship with him because of something stuck to your feet. Jesus is here to wash that away, if you're willing, if you want. And so in a moment, we're going to pray. And this is your opportunity. Don't you want to leave this place knowing you're completely clean? That there's nothing between you and God? To be free? To be free.
Take them up on this opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for you. Lord, really, the, the foot washing was just a, a, a preview of better things to come when you would pay for our sins on the cross and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. We recognize your presence here among us today. You're moving upon us, Holy Spirit. You're, you're touching hearts. You're convicting us, Lord, of things that maybe we've stepped in and things that we need to come clean from. And Lord, you're here to do it. You're here to do it if we would just not be like Peter initially who said, you will never wash my feet. Or I'm not going to do that because I'm embarrassed and I don't want anybody to think ill of me. Oh Lord, would you please break through that Simon the Pharisee pride. Lord, there'd be no posers here, no pretenders here, but that we would all come to you for the cleansing that we need, that you're wanting to give each of us. And if you believe the Lord was speaking to your heart throughout this study, he's been tugging on your heart and you want him to touch you and to cleanse you. Would you stand up right now? Right now, stand up. You're saying, yes, Lord, I need you to either cleanse me from head to toe or I need my feet washed, but I need that right now. Would you do that? Praise the Lord. God, we thank you so much for what you are doing this is your work. It is marvelous in our eyes. Oh, Holy Spirit, we, we thank you that you want us to have fellowship with you. That you have done everything to provide fellowship and now you're just waiting for us to ask. Ask for that cleansing. Ask for that sin removal. And Lord, you're doing it now. I pray, Lord, we'd even feel that cleansing water of your word just washing us clean, white as snow. Though our sins be as scarlet, they are now as white as wool. Thank you, Lord, for doing this for us. We love you. We worship you. And we receive from you. In Jesus' name, we pray and all of God's kids said, amen. amen.